Welcome to this episode of Pen to Paper Press Podcast. I'm Cindy Coaches. I enjoy speaking with authors, writers, editors, publishers, and creative souls about the process of developing our stories to completing our works of art. Each episode is an opportunity for us to explore mindsets, pearls of wisdom, and the experiences that began our journey as an author from the moment we put pen to paper. Jennifer Rose Asher has joined me in the Pen to Paper Press podcast studio. Her book, Journey to My Daughter, is a memoir of her quest to become a mother. It details experience with miscarriage, as well as everything she and her husband went through to find Hillary through adoption. Welcome, Jennifer. It is good to spend time with you and discover more about your story and your writing process. Thanks so much for having me, Cindy. You are very, very welcome. Your story um, is powerful in many ways. And what what was the one thing that really inspired you to write this book? Well, it's kind of two different things. What inspired me to write the book initially, um, when I when I originally wrote my very first manuscript in 2007, was that we went through, we had kind of a crazy story and we wanted our daughter to know what we went through to find her, or at least I did. So I I realized about when she was about five years old, that everything we had gone through was so crazy that I was likely to forget what had happened. So I wrote it all down. So that's what inspired me to originally write it. About a year after that, um, I worked with adoptive families And the adoption process is really hard. And um, the hardest thing about it is that adoptive families, you know, most most adoptive families start out planning to have a biological child. And when you have a biological child, you kind of know what's going to happen. You get pregnant and about nine months later, you have a baby. And the adoption process isn't like that at all. There are certain hoops you have to jump through before you can adopt, but then there's no set time as to how long it will take after you've done all those things. So it could be a week after you complete all your paperwork, or it can be a year, or it might be never. And that waiting game is so hard. So frequently, I had adoptive family clients who um, who were at that point in their adoption process where just nothing was happening, and they had no idea what was going to happen next. And they would be so frustrated and ready to throw in the towel. And I would frequently tell them my story of how kind of everything went wrong, but that was what needed to happen to stall us to wait for my daughter to be born because she was clearly, there were so many indications that this was just the perfect child for our family and we were the perfect match for her. Um, and my families would always tell me when I would tell them this story in different versions and lengths, um, how inspiring it was for them and how it really gave them the faith to move forward. So um, they encouraged me to write the story. um, And I said, well, I've already written it down. And when I went to try and edit it at that time in about 2008, it was too emotional for me. I cried. I read the first chapter. I cried. And I said, nope, not going to do it. And last year with 2020, I really just wanted to make a difference. I wanted to help families and, and, you know, it was a hard year for everyone, but particularly for families who wanted to adopt, there were simply no children being placed for adoption. Because if you think about COVID and quarantine, um, there wasn't much opportunity for unwanted pregnancies. Um, So this was a way that I said, you know what, maybe it's time to pull that story off the computer and share it with the world. You bring up a really interesting point because memoir writing is very emotionally, I don't want to say challenging because it's not that it's a challenge to the emotions, but what it does is it brings up those emotions and, and we relive those moments and, and depending on where we're at with that whole process of healing and, and grieving and whatever it is that we have to go through if we're still at a too tender of a spot, it's it, it can really just break us down even back to where when whatever the event was that happened. So you brought up a really interesting point in regard to 
you allowed yourself to wait. And, you know, that takes courage (laughs) in many Mm -hmm. ways. You know, I didn't see it as courageous at the time. Um, I I don't know that courage is the right word. It's, I mean, it's, it takes a lot of courage to put a memoir out there. Um, You know, my, my book has not yet been published. It's getting published in December, but the handful of beta readers that I've had, um, it's been remarkable because this book is so, it's so powerful and it's so much from my own voice and so much about me that those handful of beta readers, I feel like know me and know more about me than my closest friends and family do. And it's, it's an interesting thing that I've been, you know, kind of grappling with of, you know, this story is going to be out there in the world and there's going to be random strangers who know so much about me, but it's something I'm willing to do because I really, this, that was a tough time in my life, you know, when we were wanting, when we were trying to adopt my daughter and we went through a lot and it was not easy. And if, if there's anything I can do just by sharing my own experience to help families during that time, I want to do that. Yes. And, and there are so many people who are going to be grateful to, to pick up your book, read it, recognize elements and be able to say, Oh, Oh, so I, I too should keep the faith that this will work out. Okay. She did. I will too. (laughs) So you, you help to instill that because obviously with the duration of time between starting the process and then finding Hillary, that you had to have a strong faith in knowing that it's going to work out. And, you know, I don't know that I, again, I don't know that I saw it that way at the time. Um, I was more project driven. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. This is Project Baby. We are going to find, my husband and I joked for a while, we called her Imaginary Baby. We are going to find Imaginary Baby. And and that is our job right now. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's a tough time. Um, you know, the nice thing about this book that is, has really been a surprise to me is how different people take away different things from it. Um, and the subtitle of my book is it's a memoir about adoption and self-discovery because it's the story of my adoption, but it's also the story of how I kind of learned to have that faith and learn to trust the signs from the universe that were kind of showing me that I wasn't on the right track and I needed to kind of change gears and being willing to be open to that idea. So I've had some, you know, again, I've had maybe eight people read this book cover to cover so far, but I've had a couple of them who really resonated with the stories of my miscarriage, which is really only the first, like, I don't know, four or five chapters of the book, um, and which I hadn't really even planned on including in the book because this was really about her adoption process. But my very first editor said, you know, if you're willing to talk about this, this is something that so many people go through. So many women, so many couples go through miscarriage and so few people are willing to talk about it. She said, so if you're willing to share your experience and let those other women know that they're not alone, I think that'd be really meaningful to a lot of people. And, you know, it was something I really hadn't planned on, but I was okay with sharing it and it it was fine with me. And since then, I've had two other women who read the book who said, oh my gosh, I was so glad to hear this. And I was so, I was so thrilled to read your account and to know that I wasn't alone because, you know, nobody wants to talk about it. Um, And then there have been other people who didn't have anything to do with infertility or adoption or anything else who just happened to have read the books because they're my friend, the book because they're my friends or whatever. And they said, you know what? This was so meaningful to me because I saw how you allowed yourself to listen to what the universe was trying to tell you. And when things were just not working out, you let yourself change course and you, you said, okay, I'm going to hear what's going on here. And I'm going to try to look at this from a different way. Mm -hmm. And about topics that were completely different. They said the book came to them at just the right time when they were having to make a job decision. One One of them was having to make a job decision and everything was indicating that she needed to change jobs. And she was just holding on to her old job with all her might, because that's what she knew. And she said, she happened to get my book. I asked her to read it. 
And she said, oh my gosh, this book came to me at this time where I needed to hear that I needed to let go and look at other options. So, you know, I'm really excited to be able to help people see different things through the book. That's wonderful. Talk about a gift and, and that your friend was able to recognize and, and see those, those aspects of what you've been through and be able to relate it to herself and, and implement, you know, like you said, the trust <laughs> and the yeah, signs from the universe is, is let it go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are the, going back to uh, writing the book, what are some of the things that you learned about yourself through the writing of your memoir? Oh my gosh. I learned so much about myself. Um, I learned that I love to write. Um, didn't even know that I love to write. I never, I never took any writing classes. This was not my major. My major was um, in college was in finance and, and it, in graduate school was in uh, psychology, counseling, psychology, and I had never really, I had never written anything just for fun before. And I mean, not that this was just for fun, but it kind of was. And I learned that I loved it. And I also learned that it was easy for me to express my thoughts and my feelings on paper. Um, and that I, I really, you know, the process again, through the editors and the beta readers, learning that my words can make a difference has been huge for me. And our words do have power. So when, oh, the question was there and now it just went away. Okay, maybe I'm not supposed to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you weren't. <laughs> oh, no. So, uh, you know, I was going to ask you, what are you hoping to get? Uh, or what are you hoping the readers will get from your story? But it really sounds like, that's a really broad question. So, and for- honestly, what I, what I hope that readers get from the story is what they need. I hope they see what they need in the story, whether they're able to implement and see, okay, this girl was trying so hard to force this to happen. As soon as she brought herself back a little bit and let things happen as they wanted to happen, that's when they fell into place and being able to apply that to their lives. For adoptive families, I really hope that raiders are able to see, number one, that they're not alone. And number two, that things happen how they're supposed to and that they will, that somehow their path will meet the path of their child when they're supposed to. So you had mentioned at the beginning, you had written down the events so that you could share it with Hillary when she uh, became older. So when you sat down to put this together, you went back to your journals and, and back to photographs. What else did you do to kind of wrap it all together and, and create this, the baseline for your, for your memoir? Well, at that time, it, had, it wasn't that far past. It was maybe five years. And I really just went back to my own memory and I just wrote it all down. You know, it was one of those things that I don't know. I don't know exactly what occurred to me that I might forget this. But at the time, again, it was it was such a an emotional roller coaster and such an eventful time that at that time I remembered all the details. I remembered everything that happened. I could picture the hotel room in my mind. I could, you know, smell the smells on the streets of Hanoi at night. And, um, and it was, you know, it just was a matter of just writing it down, which I'm so glad that I did. Because when I came back to it 14 years later, um, I didn't remember everything. And, um, and I was like, Oh, yeah, that was so cool. Um, So I'm really (laughs) glad that I wrote it down at that time. But something and again, you know, every time I talk about this, there's something else that comes to me that it's like, the universe told me that that's what I had to do at that time. And I don't even remember what the conversation was or what happened that made me realize I'm going to forget this at some point. But something happened that because I remember being on an absolute mission that I had to get this all down on paper. And I don't remember exactly why. I just know that I realized 
I was going to want her to be able to know everything that happened. And, and understandable, um, because uh, from the little bit you and I have talked, it was quite the journey that you and your husband went through. It definitely was. So, uh, and when it came to editing your book, did you find it hard to let go of some of the elements of the book so that it moved smoother? Or did you just have already when you wrote, you know, your drafts of the book? Um, was it, you know, tight enough that you didn't really have to do a whole lot of editing? I had to do a lot of editing in terms of like voice, like um, I didn't have a lot of dialogue initially. I wrote it more from an outside perspective of just from me, and this is what happened. So I would report what happened in a conversation rather than listing the dialogue. That was one of the very first things that one of my editors told me, you need to add dialogue. Um, I needed to focus more on building the character of my husband and of my best friend. Um, so it wasn't really, it didn't, nothing really changed that took away anything from the story it was just refining my technique as a writer. I wasn't willing to give up any part of the story. The, the only thing that my editor and I kind of clashed heads on, and this is kind of funny, again, one of the kind of broad spectrum uh, instructions that I got was that I didn't have a lot of scene building. I didn't describe things very well, because again, that wasn't the priority when I wrote this down. So she said, you know, we want to be able to see what your hotel room looked like. We want to be able to hear the sounds on the street of Vietnam. So I went back and I created scenes. And at one point there was this breakfast in, and this was a big joke with me and my editor. There was this breakfast in Vietnam. And I spent, I guess, almost two pages describing the breakfast. And she said, <laughs> Jennifer, <laughs> you don't describe anything in the entire book and we have every detail of breakfast listed and she said I think you need to trim it down a little bit and I said really Jessica this was the most incredible breakfast I ever saw <laughs> she said obviously it made a very big impact on you so I did pare it down but I kept all the important things <laughs> Yes. And and I'm sure by having that experience and seeing, oh, this is what she was saying, that you were able to go back and fill in the description of what it was like to walk or what it smelled like when you were, you know, in the airport or what it felt like to be standing in front of whomever that uh, that you were in communication with. Um, because the five senses, when we're writing, uh, a lot of times we forget that we need to add those those elements because we're, you know, when we're writing it, we're mentally there, you know, our mind, body, right. spirit, when we're writing, we're there, we see it, and we forget to include those details so that when the reader goes to read it, they're, they don't have the clue. <laughs> right. Well, and, and again, you know, part of this is kind of where I wrote my first draft from. I didn't really, I wasn't writing it for an audience. I was writing it for an audience of one. Mm -hmm. And my plan was that I would be able to basically read her this story. Um, so I didn't, that wasn't important because I knew I would remember the feelings once I remembered the, um, the, the um, activities and, and things as, as they happened. Um, so, you know, again, I mean, I, and it was during a very short period of time, I believe I started working with my first editor in March and I submitted my, um, my, uh, my, my second draft essentially, although it had gone through many iterations at that point in May 1st. And that was really my book as it is today. I mean, there were minor tweaks and changes and a word here and there and a sentence sure. switched here and there. But for the most part, that May 1st draft, and I mean, I, again, I, I just I just took the bull by the horns. I mean, I worked pretty much nonstop for those two months um, of just rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. You know, again, you know, I would get a directive like, add scenes. And I went through the entire book 
and added scenes everywhere I needed to and add dialogue. And I would go through the entire book and I added dialogue. So it was, it was a lot of work, but I really loved it. I mean, I was learning how to write because I had never done it before. And when you haven't written before and creative writing is much different than technical writing and creative writing is even different than writing a memoir because with mm. memoir, it's more emotional. So you're having to bring up that vulnerability and bring out that emotion because you want the reader there with you and to feel what you feel and to see what you see. So it's even more descriptive than say writing um, like a novel, mm-hmm. unless it's a horror flick. And in many cases, then they get a little, a little freaky on the, <laughs> on the whole scare tactic things and really trigger the emotions. But <laughs> yeah. But um, are you having fun with the whole process though? Um, there are parts I don't love. Um, Mark- <laughs> Marketing is hard for me. I, I, um, I, I did not realize how much work it was going to be. The social media thing kind of scares me. I'm getting there. I'm learning it. I'm trying to put myself out there, but um, it's not easy. Um, and I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> um, I'll tell you the most fun thing about it is just learning the whole process. I mean, there's been so many surprises along the way. Um, I remember I got my contract and um, in June and right in my contract, it said um, I was expected to submit my video trailer by X date, which was like two weeks later. And I was like, my what? I'm like that. I did not know. I had no, I did not know that books had video trailers. I'd never, never seen such a thing. And, and then I watched the example one in the template that I was given. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's like a movie. And I'm supposed to make it in two weeks. <laughs> and I kind of freaked out a little, but you know, I, I talked to my, I talked to my editor and I talked to my production, my video production assistants. And I read through, you know, all of the guidance and templates that I had. And after about, I don't know, five days, one night, I must've all settled in my brain. And I woke up really early one morning at like five o'clock. And I was like, I know how I'm going to do it. And I pulled out my computer and I brought my computer into bed with me and I searched through stock video and I put it all together. I I think I was in bed from like five o'clock in the morning to like one o'clock in the afternoon. I did the whole video and um, I was so proud of that video. (laughs) You know, I love when that happens, when we wake up with that inspiration and it just like click, 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 click and voila. Yeah. (laughs) there is something so divine about that that it's just like you know you wake up and your mind is uncluttered from you know what's going on in the moment you're just waking up and it's like oh that's my answer (laughs) I think somehow the brain just assimilates during sleep and it just puts everything together and just lets it simmer and um, so, yeah, it's happened a couple times through this process that happened with my cover, too. I could not figure out for the life of me what I wanted on the cover. And one morning I woke up early and said, I've got it. I know what the cover should look like. And it was it was a big surprise to me. That's wonderful, because, yes, the cover, the cover says so much about the book. And there's so you it's so easy to get into that overwhelm of, oh, my gosh, what should it look like? Should my name be big? Should it be small? Should it be on top? Should it be on bottom? Should I use this font or should I use that font? What color is the best color for a memoir? You know, I mean, you're just you get into that overwhelm of options. Well, and I didn't have that all that worked out. I just had the basic idea. Because I was thinking, you know, when I first thought about it, and I was like, what am I going to put? I'm like, you know, a baby in a basket on the river? I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I had no idea. Um, and, you know, I didn't really want a picture of me. And I didn't really want something that was supposed to, that was someone else that was supposed to be me or even a representation mm-hmm. thereof. And, you know, I couldn't quite figure out how I was going to portray what the story was in a single picture on a cover but 
I finally, I finally woke up one morning and just had an idea. So that's wonderful because that, that takes away all of that anxiety and it's like, okay, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yes, definitely. And it sounds like you have a wonderful team that's working with you on this project and helping you put it all together. So definitely do. That's, that's great. Because uh, a lot of people go at it alone, and then others choose to, you know, take your route and have that team to help them put it together. And it sounds like you've been learning a tremendous amount about not just only the marketing as aspect, but also developing the story, the arc, and all of that as well. And yeah, I mean, it was a pretty low bar, you know, to... <laughs> <laughs> that I was starting with, um, you know, I knew nothing. I, so I, I could only go up. Um, but yeah, I got really lucky. I got, um, I got connected with uh, this creator institute and with the new degree press publisher, which is a hybrid publisher, which I'm just so lucky to have happened to fall into this situation. Um, because I know I would not, first of all, I, I simply didn't know enough to try to do this as an independent author, um, totally on my own. Um, definitely not even close to enough. And, you know, the flip side of that is I have a friend who's using a traditional publisher and she's lost all control. And, you know, they changed the name of her book and they changed the cover of her book. And, and I'm like, Ooh, no way, <laughs> no way I'd let anybody change the name of my book. That would um, be hard. So, yeah. Yeah. I can't even, I can't even imagine because my book has never had another name. You know, I know a lot of people work with a working title and then they figure it out later. For whatever reason, the day I started writing this, I said, oh, this is the journey to my daughter. And it never changed. It, it's always been exactly the same. And, and at some point, somebody asked me, do you want to consider other titles? And I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and like, it was just empty. There, there was nothing. This had to be the title. So... Well, and, and based on, you know, what you've shared with me and what you're sharing with the audience, that there, you know, like you said, there was never even a consideration to change the name. Yes. It, it's very much very fitting for you know, what, what has happened. And is there anything that you would like uh, to share with writers to give them that that just encouragement to keep going or, or any warnings? No, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but is there any wisdom you would like to share with, uh, with fellow writers? Um, you know, I think the, the best thing that I learned, and it's not even just about the writing, it's about any aspect of it, and really about anything, you know, again, this generalization has been kind of the theme um, of this whole pro project for me. Um, is um, Eric Custer, who's the professor at the Creator Institute, he, he always talks about, it's not about a divine inspiration. It's more about just butt in seat time. And, you know, just set aside an hour and sit and write and whatever comes out, don't expect it to be brilliant. Don't expect it to be finished or polished or anything else. Just commit yourself to I'm going to sit down at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning and I'm going to write for at least an hour. And if it is junk that comes out, it's junk that comes out, but I'm going to commit to my butt in that seat. Um, and that has been, again, not just for the writing, but for even the marketing aspects of it and the video and the cover design and everything you know, there's a lot of it. And, you know, I've been procrastinating about, I haven't given an update to my author community in a while. And, and I know I just need to put it on my calendar. Okay. You know, tomorrow at 11 o'clock, I'm going to sit my butt at this desk and I'm going to write an update. And once I do that, I know I'll do it. And I, I think that's been the greatest thing that I've learned because every time, at least for me, every time I make that commitment and I just say, I'm going to sit down and do it, it all comes together. Good. I, cause I was going to ask you what your process was. If you're just somebody who, you know, sits and, and writes when you're inspired or do you have a schedule, you know, what is it like for you when you, you know, at what point do you write? <laughs> and, and usually it's when I have a lot of time. I'm one of those people who, who writes 
in large blocks of time. You know, I would sit and write for six hours. Um, I would just, you know, say, okay, I'm going to write today. And I'll give myself enough time in between that I have enough things to write or that I knew where I'm going or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes I would need a few days in between where I'd just be like, okay, I've written so much. I need to stop and think about what's going to happen next and how it's going to fit together or, or whatever, how I'm going to make this transition. Um, but for me, um, I need a, I need to have a block of time because if I'm in the middle of something, I don't want to have to stop if I don't, if I'm not ready. Understood. I, I get that. <laughs> and when the inspiration hits too, you know, um, it, that's, that's important to take advantage of that as well. Well, I know you're short on time today and I, I want to make sure that you share with everyone your website. So how can everybody find you on the internet? Um, well, it's pretty simple. Uh, my website is uh, journeytomydaughter.com. That's same as the title of the book. Um, I can be found on social media um, under Jennifer Rose Asher. I think I'm the only one. Um, and I'm on, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, I, I, um, I believe if you put in jenniferroseasher.com, it will also go to my website. Um, so I, I'm pretty easy to find. The book is coming out in December. I'm not sure the exact date yet. We haven't been given that yet, but sometime in December. Um, and it'll be available on Amazon and anywhere you buy books. So I'm really excited to share this story with the world. I And it is a very important story. And just just to kind of give the hint, what countries did you go to? Well, the only country I actually went to outside of the United States is Vietnam. Um, We, um, you know, the the journey started, you know, at home uh, with two miscarriages, and then we decided to adopt internationally. Now, kind of mentally, we traveled all over the world. We, we, um, We actually did the paperwork for China, Vietnam, Kazakhstan, Cambodia, and Russia. I think that's it. Um, as well as the United States. Um, so we did a lot of paperwork and a lot of research. Um, but the only place I actually traveled to was Vietnam. Okay. I Because I was curious if you had gone to any of the other countries or... Um, traveling is one of those things obviously I'm I'm in a camper I love to travel (laughs) and so it was like hmm I wonder what other countries she went to because you know especially now you know after the last what year and a half that we've all been in it's like the whole idea of oh I want to go traveling where can you know (laughs) where to (laughs) Well, and I'm pretty much the opposite. I do not love to travel at all, um, particularly far. And I write about in the book that if I had to go, I lived in Chicago at the time. Now I live outside of Dallas, but at the time I lived outside of Chicago. And if I had to go to Milwaukee, which is like, I think it's about two, two and a half hours away from from Chicago, from where we lived. Mm -hmm. I would like whine and cry until my husband would agree to go with me because I didn't want to go that far by myself. Um, And what happened in the story was um, that we had planned to go to Vietnam once and my husband, we were going to go together. Um, And after we submitted all of our paperwork, something happened. And, and um, it was a, it was a time of turmoil in Vietnam for Vietnamese adoptions from the United States. And there was some conspiracy theory type things going on and the INS was investigating there was kind of a baby buying scheme going on and um they they kind of rushed us and they said could you go twice because there's this other process where you could go you travel once to deliver your paperwork and then you go the second time to pick up the baby and I said there's no way my husband can take off work and they said oh that's fine only one parent needs to go on the first trip so you can just go by yourself and I panicked and I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> they said, and they said, you know, because we don't know when we're going to get, you know, we, we're no longer working with the orphanage that you can adopt from where you only travel once. And we don't know if we're going to have, if we're going to rebuild any relationships in that province, because each province had their own rules and laws. Okay. So 
you know, either you can make two trips and go pretty much right away, or you can wait, but we don't know how long that wait will be. Well, I was on such a mission and I was like, well, I guess I'm going to Vietnam. And then the next sentence was, can you go next week? And I was like, what? Wow. Holy moly. <laughs> so yeah, it was just the trip was thrown together. And that's the whole story of the book is that everything that could go wrong on this trip went wrong. I mean, it was crazy. Um, the, the facilitator was supposed to pick me up at the airport. There was nobody there. Um, when I finally got to, I figured out how to get myself to the hotel. I realized that I didn't even have a name for facilitator, let alone a phone number. Cause they just said, the facilitator will be there at the airport. You don't need to have this information. Don't worry. They'll be there to pick you up. And I was like, okay. And it didn't occur to me to ask. So I get to the hotel and I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't even know what to do now. And then I went, they had, you know, it was kind of the beginning of the internet. So I went and got my email. They had a one computer at the hotel that guests were allowed to use. And um, it was behind the desk because it was it was the shared computer that the secretary used as well. And I checked my email and there was an email from the agency saying, oh, the baby that you had been assigned because I'd been given a referral for a baby named Viet. And they said, oh, we're sorry, baby Viet tested positive for hepatitis B. There's no way you'd be able to bring her back to the United States. Don't worry, the facilitator will tell you about the other babies available and you can pick which one you want. And I'm going, I've been carrying around this little picture of this little baby for the last week and a half, two weeks. Mm -hmm. I am like this in my head, this is my child. I mean, and this is all in the first hour that I landed in this country. Um, and it went on from there. Um, it was crazy. Everything went wrong. I was there for a total of about five days. I probably slept, oh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 hours for the entire five days. And I ate two meals over the five days that I was there. Um, so because everything just, I was just trying to figure out what to do next and how am I going to make this happen? And how is this going to, how are we going to do this? And, you know, I was up all night, you know, on the phone with my husband because of the time difference, trying to figure this out. It was crazy. It was crazy. So, right. and again, that's what... That's what made the book interesting to write. And that's what made it a story worth telling. Yes. And, <laughs> and the startling thing is, as you have said, that this is familiar to other people who have uh, adopted. I, you know, I can't imagine for one, I can't imagine being told, oh, here's, you know, here's a picture. This is your baby. Go pick him up or pick her up and then get there and be told, oh, never mind. I, I can't imagine the emotional heartbreak that you had to have gone through with that. Well, and it got worse after that, because then they presented me with two different, you know, packets of paper about two different babies. And we picked one. And then I was going to the embassy the next day to get my paperwork submitted. And they said, oh, no, you can't just change the name on the paperwork. You have to go back to the United States and get all new paperwork. And I was like, what? You know, I'm telling you, everything went wrong that could go wrong. And eventually I ended up at an orphanage with a baby who I instantly fell in love with. I looked into this baby's eyes and I this is meant to be my child and I picked her up and I held her and I, I played with her and I changed her and fed her and fell madly in love with this baby and then when I got back to the United States they said oh sorry we're terminating all the adoptions in Vietnam and you have to pick a different country to go to and I <laughs> oh my goodness oh Jennifer it was, it was crazy it was crazy um you know, a little bit of a spoiler alert, that, that baby, I, I found her um, later. I did. She's in Canada and we actually have met her and she's wonderful. Oh, and she's yeah. about five months older than, than Hillary. And they consider each other sisters. And oh, it was, sweet. it was a crazy chance meeting. Um, it was one of those weird things. Um, at the time, um, again, it was kind of the infancy of the internet as we know it today, but I was in, an, in a group called Families with Children from Vietnam. And somehow I got to talking with this woman who went to the same orphanage we did 
and we compared pictures and we're like, it's the same place. And I said, did you see this baby? And she said, oh my gosh, yes. One of the families we were with on the trip when we picked up our baby adopted that baby. And she was able to put me in touch with them, with the family. Now they were a little intimidated about by me by, at, at the beginning because they were like, wait, you tried to adopt our child. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but we, we exchanged addresses. They were pretty far away. They were up in Canada somewhere. And we sent Christmas cards for years. That was our only contact was we sent Christmas cards and I was able to watch her grow up once a year through Christmas cards. And when Hillary, I believe Hillary was 15, 14 or 15. Um, she might've been 14 and she was 14. We happened, my, she's Hillary's a figure skater and we happened to be up in Canada for a tryout. She does pairs and she was trying out with a boy. And I said, you know, I only know of one person in the entire country of Canada and they live in this town. And the woman who I was with, who was the boy's mom said, oh, you know, that's only like 20 minutes away. I said, you're kidding. And I didn't even know how to reach them. Um, But I was Facebook friends with her. By that point, I was Facebook friends with her. So I went on Facebook and I sent her a message and I said, you're not going to believe this, but I think we're really (laughs) close to you. Can you meet for dinner? And she was like, absolutely. We'll make it happen. And we went and all four of us cried the like on and off the whole night because it was just so emotional to be reunited and and you know when you're adopting internationally you don't really know much about the baby that you're getting um you know a lot of times the baby's dropped off at an orphanage you don't know anything about the birth mother or what happened before you get there right so you know her mom saw it as she said you're almost like her birth mom you're the only one that i've met who knew my baby in any capacity before i did And so it was very emotional and it was very emotional for the girls and they've stayed in touch. They talk and, and send each other little memes on Instagram and whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But it was, it was really cool. It was really cool that I got to see that baby, but the whole thing was emotional. The whole thing was, was very emotional and very upsetting. And, and while no two adoption stories are the same, I do think everyone kind of has their own hill to climb and everyone has some kind of crazy story when it comes to adoption. Um, You know, I I was speaking with someone else about the book um, earlier this week and, and they asked me, he asked me um, about, um, about the trauma of, of adoption. I said, you know, the thing is there's no happy story, no matter how hard you try, Mm -hmm. there's no way to come up with a happy story that leads to a woman placing her child for adoption. Um, and you know, I've tried, you know, you, you can come up with the, the greatest thing ever that it's a princess and she just had to do her princessly duties and therefore couldn't care for the child. And it's still heartbreaking. Um, so y- you have to realize that this is gonna be an emotional journey because it's going to start with some sort of trauma um, for, at least for the baby and the birth mom and probably the adoptive family too. Now, I think that a good adoption that's healthy and, um, you know, and is made out of love and from all people involved, um, you know, can be a very healing for that trauma for all involved. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of work. I have a friend who uh, has adopted um, and she shared very uh, little about it. I don't want to pry because it was something that, you know, just like you, it, it was, you know, not an easy transaction or I don't want to say transaction. It sounds like you went and bought a bag of potato chips and that's completely inappropriate. It's not an easy process. It's yeah, not an easy the, process. It's yes. not an easy process. And like you said, you're right. There is somebody somewhere with a broken heart the the child is not with the birth mother for whatever reason and and it's not for for judgment it's not for anybody to criticize or or cast any any you know harm towards that um because we don't know the circumstances and in and in many cases um it's probably better that some people don't know the circumstances um 
just because of again the heartbreak i you know i don't i'm i have very little insight in that world so i'm coming at this from a completely different outlook where you know i just my heart goes to everybody in in that situation well and and the bottom line is that it's a very selfless decision to decide to place a child for adoption um almost always i mean certainly not always but almost always it's a decision that's made out of love it's a decision that's made because the birth mother loves this child and wants the best life that the child can have and um you know and so I think it's important to look at it from that perspective. Um, you know, one of the things that was always important to me and one of the kind of messages, you know, what, when you talk about things I learned from writing this book, one of the things that's been so important to me in marketing this book and, um, you know, in reaching out to families is this message of how important it is what you tell children about their adoption. First of all, it's so important to share with them as much information as you can in a positive light. Um, And actually, I did not put this together until this process, but I have I have it here. I wrote a book for Hillary when she was less than a year old. This is it. And I I talk about that this is the first journey to my daughter book. But I had read a book by Sherry Eldridge that talked about how important it is for adopted children to know their story. So um, I wrote this book for Hillary and this was, you know, before it was easy to do like it is now. And it's just the story of her adoption in very simple terms that I used to read to her every night when she was a year old, you know, through her toddlerhood. And she had this concrete story she could always go back to. And, you know, what, what I said was, you know, mommy and daddy decided that they wanted a baby and they didn't know where the baby would be. And they looked in mommy's tummy, but the baby wasn't there. And they searched all over the world. And then I said, and at the same time, um, Hillary's birth moms um, found a baby in her tummy. And um, she loved this baby, but she knew that she wasn't able to take care of this baby. So when the baby was born, she didn't know what to do. And she made a phone call to this woman named Virginia, who was at the adoption agency. And Virginia said, don't worry, I know right where your baby's mommy and daddy are. And I'm going to call them and they will take wonderful care of the baby. And everyone was so relieved. Um, And so that's how I presented it in very age appropriate terminology. And she could Mm -hmm. always go back if she ever wondered, was she cared for? Did we want her Did her birth mother want her? She had this story, you know, when she was older and could read, obviously, um, that she could go back to and say, oh, look, it's here in writing. She loved me. She wanted me to have a better life. Um, So I think that's so important for children who join a family through any kind of alternative method. You know, right now in the world today, there's all kinds of crazy ways that families are made. and whatever it is, I think it's really great, particularly if it's not just a traditional mom and dad had a baby, um, right. to, to have a nice concrete story that particularly with young children, they can go back to and always know. Um, because if you don't tell them a story, they're going to make up their own story. Yes, and, they will. Yes. So... So this has been, again, you know, I don't always think of it that way. I I told you every time I have one of these discussions about this book, something else is brought to my attention of the universe meant this to happen. And this is what I had to learn from this. And this is what I had to bring to the world. And this was just another thing that is a message that, um, and if you go on my Facebook page, if you go back or look on the videos, I did, I think I did a Facebook live or a video or link to a YouTube video or something where I read this book aloud and talked about how important it is to share the story of a child um, with them. So what a gift that in itself, it just inspires other parents that are, you know, two steps behind you in, in their process and like, Oh yeah, I should do that as well. That's, that's a great idea. This, this helps. 
And I mean, we're always learning from each other. Yeah. And I love that you continue to share that your mom wanted you to have a better life. Yes. That is beautiful. We have a pretty open adoption. I mean, we don't talk to her or see her very often. Hillary has met her birth mom when she was little, um, but we're Facebook friends now. So, you know, anytime she's curious, she can look and see what her birth mom is doing, what her biological siblings are doing. Um, same thing, my son is also adopted and we have the same thing. Um, you know, I'm Facebook friends with his with his birth mom and, and his birth grandma. And, and so we have that contact. It's always been very important to me for them to be able to know where they came from and, you know, have that not be a big mystery. So. Well, thank you for sharing your story for inspiring others to one when when it feels like it nothing is working out that you know what is going on why is this not you know going easy that to just trust in the process that it will work out um for most people it, it does work out of course there's a few that it doesn't for for whatever reason well and even for them it does work out it, it's what's meant for them yes yes exactly and it's just it's just a beautiful story that you're sharing and thank you thank you for sharing your story well thank you and thank you for sharing my story with your audience and um you know, I, I hope, I hope people read the book. They will. They will. (laughs) (laughs) Because you have important messages to share and people will find it. And, you know, you've already had great response with the beta readers. So yeah, beautiful. And thank you. Well, thank you so much. You are very welcome. Take care of yourself, Jennifer. You too. All right. Thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. Before we end our time together, I'd like to say thank you for listening to my conversation with Jennifer Rose Asher. To access her website and purchase the book she has written, visit pentapaperpress.com backslash podcast and select the show notes page for this episode. To receive future episodes in your inbox, subscribe to the newsletter, and of course, follow the podcast on your favorite application. You are invited to share your favorite episodes with the individuals you feel will resonate with the content. All right, take care, and until next time, keep your pen to paper and write. Your words have power. Your story matters. Bye for now.